ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Hello, I'm Tom Gilson. Last October, the very thoughtful author, speaker, and humorist Eric Metaxas took his famous Socrates in the City event on the road to Houston, where he sat down with Dr. James Tour to talk about the origin of life. In a second episode to follow this one very soon, we'll hear Dr. Tour explain why he's convinced that nature alone could not have caused life to begin. Of course, when you hear that sort of thing, you do want to know whether the person knows what he's talking about or not. Well, Dr. Tour is one of those scientists who's done so much unusual and so much interesting stuff, you can enjoy just hearing what he's done, especially when he's arguably the most influential scientist in the world, and especially when Eric Metaxas is doing the interviewing. Wow, 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 my goodness. There's so many of you. There's so, thank you, thank you. There's so, so very, very many of you and so few of me. Uh, I'm overwhelmed. I can't tell you how thrilled I am to do Socrates in the City in Houston. We have done it uh, in other, you know, backwater. <laughs> Uh, there's no way, once you use the adjective backwater, there's no way to redeem it. I, I, no, we've done, we've done these events um, not just around the country here and there, but also uh, in the south of France, in Oxford, England. If you go to the website, Socrates in the City, you'll, you'll see those. But uh, we love doing them in places other than New York. Uh, usually fewer uh, stabbing incidents. Uh, not that... I'm not here to judge, okay? I'm just saying. But, um, but we really have never done one here. And I've been to Houston many times, and I know I've met many of you uh, in my various uh, visits to Houston, but it just thrills me that we're doing this here. Uh, I apologize for the club. It's the best we could do. Um, <laughs> is, Dick, is Dick here? Where's Dick? No, we are, we are so thrilled that we, we could do it here. Um, now, if you're unfamiliar with Socrates in the city, let me say, get out. I can't believe you would show up here having no idea what you've, you've stumbled into. Uh, but it's your own fault because you are now part of a UFO cult. And uh, the mothership's going to come from behind a cloud uh, in about an hour. And we're all going back uh, to our system, our star system. I hope you don't mind because you're, you're in. No, actually, what Socrates said is some of you are familiar with the concept. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living and then he blew his brains out in an alley. Uh, that's not true, that's not true. He, uh, he said the unexamined life is not worth living, and I, uh, about 22 years ago, thought, you know what, most of us are living rather unexamined lives. Wouldn't it be a nice thing to have a forum where uh, I could have conversations with people about what we call the big questions? Sometimes we say life, God, and other small topics. Uh, and over the years, uh, we have done that. We've, we've asked, big questions, we always try to, to ask a question, right? Tonight, uh, we're asking the question, uh, I forgot, what was it? Uh, something along the lines of, how did life begin? Where did life come from, right? That's a kind of a big question, isn't it? Uh, so we've asked the, the big questions. Who are we? Where are we going? Uh, what's, the, um, 
what's the capital of North Dakota? Um, you know, the stuff that really gets you. Uh, my favorite question is, are, are you going to finish that burger, honey? And of course, the follow-up, what about the fries? Um, I say honey because uh, I'm currently married to my current wife. Today is our 26th wedding anniversary. Yes. And don't applaud. Uh, it's just, we're just through the first 26 years. But I think we're going to make it. You know what I'm saying? I think we're going to make it. Um, Suzanne uh, knows me at my very worst. And for that, I resent her. Um, but uh, I also know her at her worst. And so, you know, we've got this stuff on each other. It's just such a, a crazy thing that it happened to be our, our 26th winning uh, anniversary tonight. But we really have together been through thick and thin and through also through greasy and stringy. I don't know if that's, uh, yeah, because it's been rough. It's, you know, thick and thin, that, what, what, what does that mean? But um, the, the secret to our success in marriage, uh, and I don't mind saying this publicly, we have an open marriage. Um, I, I, uh, I have, from the beginning, remained open uh, to the idea that uh, Suzanne's relatives could have me killed uh, if I looked uh, at another woman you know, uh, in, in the wrong way. And, and I've been open to that idea all these years that uh, it could all end with a blunt instrument uh, if I'm at a lie. And that, that has really worked for us. And, and the most amazing thing I just want to say that, uh, is that you know, when I say 26 years of marriage, I should be really clear, since I'll be talking to a scientist tonight, I want to be accurate. 26 years, I'm talking consecutive years. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're, if you're a math person, yeah, I'm not, we're not skipping around, okay? This is one after the other after the other, with no exceptions. 26 years today, and uh, let me say to Suzanne, baby, you're the greatest. And. Uh, and she really is. I'm not just saying that. She really is. Um, I, uh, Socrates in the City is about, um, you know, when Socrates said that, it's not just that he said the unexamined life is not worth living. He also was always in pursuit of the truth. In other words, he had this idea, as most Greeks like myself do, that uh, philosophizing is worth doing. It's worth thinking ab about things. But he was kind of relentless. Uh, and he got in trouble for seeking the truth as you inevitably will, because we live in this fallen world. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but they killed Jesus. Yeah, and, uh, and Socrates actually was also uh, killed. And uh, Diogenes, you know, he was searching for an honest man. He was killed in a knife fight in downtown Athens. And yeah, you can laugh at that one, that's not true. But, but the point is that, when we're talking about truth, you realize how serious it is. Because oftentimes when you pursue the, pursue the truth, whether in science, as we'll find tonight, or in other things, there are people who don't like it. And I find that idea itself fascinating. Uh, so we'll, maybe we'll talk um, about that. Uh, I want to tell you uh, how I came to know Dr. Tour, um, which really led me to write my book, Is Atheism Dead? It's kind of crazy. It was about four years ago. Uh, we have a dear friend, Elizabeth Blakemore, who's right here, sitting next to my current wife of 26 years. And um, 
Elizabeth, Elizabeth invited uh, me to a dinner uh, to meet a nano-scientist named Dr. James Tour. And of course, being Greek, I know the prefix nano uh, means one billion. It means really, really, really super tiny, right? And I confess that when I met him, I was surprised that he was about my size. And I thought, <laughs> I don't understand, you know. And as I spoke to him, I understand that it was, it was uh, nanoscience really has nothing to do with the size of the scientist. I realized that. <laughs> but um, but he, uh, he, of course, is a, is a super genius. I'll read some of his uh, credits in a minute. And I, and I find it ironic that our friend Elizabeth introduced us, because Elizabeth, you know, kind of dull. Um, she's got, uh, she's got splits, we like to say splinters in the windmills of her mind. Is that not, is that not true, Elizabeth? Three bricks shy of a full load? How can I put it? How can I put it kindly? Her pilot light blew out. That's how you know, that's how you know you're my friend if I make fun of you in public, okay? That's, that's, that's my love language, that's my love language. But it really, in all seriousness, that evening I just thought, oh, I'm just going to a dinner and I met Dr. Tour and we got into a conversation and somehow he starts talking about the concept of how life began, not what happens once you have life, because you can get into all kinds of arguments and conversations about the concept of you have life and then it evolves in this direction or God directs it or whatever. There's all these conversations about intelligence and science, but he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about the concept of you have no life, and then suddenly, bing, you have life. And we're going to talk about that tonight. Because when I heard him talk about it at that dinner, I said, you know what? No one ever talks about this. And this is really as seminal as it gets. When you talk about what are the big questions in life, how did life begin? Not human life, but how did life begin? So it's a, it's a fundamental uh, question. And so, I got excited about it, and I talked to Dr. Tour more and more and more about it. And of course, uh, I said, listen, this is so exciting, you need to write a book about it. But Dr. Tour is too busy doing actual science and writing peer-reviewed papers to waste his time writing some crappy book. Um, which I, uh, I'm ins personally insulted by that, because I'm an author. Um, and so, I thought to myself, the more I learned about what he was doing, the more I thought, Maybe I need to write about this. And so I did, there are two or three chapters in my book, Is Atheism Dead?, where I talk about this, this issue. Um, because it really is an extraordinary concept. Uh, and once I realized the depth of it, the more I thought, we, we've just got to kind of tell the world uh, what Dr. Tour knows um, about this. Now, I say, I, I put it in my book, I stole everything, of course, from Dr. Tour and other scientists. I don't know that much about chemistry. Uh, I think I got as far as 11th grade chemistry. I did for a season, I knew Avogadro's number. Um, I, I never met Avogadro, but I, but, I, but, I, but I knew his number. I spoke with him on the phone. And, uh, and then, of course, like an idiot, I lost, I lost Avogadro's number. And uh, we haven't spoken since. And I feel, what a fool, what a fool I've been, because he's a pretty important guy. Um, I, uh, I, remember, I remember once in 11th grade calculating molality. Does anybody remember that? Yeah. I, I remember there was a brief moment where I understood molality, and then I forgot all about it. Um, I believe I once dated a lipid. I'm not sure. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, but I, 
I'm not exactly a chemist, so everything in my book, obviously, I take uh, from, from Dr. Tour. Uh, to tell you a little bit about Dr. Tour, officially, um, and this is the least interesting, he's the T.T. and W.F. Chow Professor of Chemistry at Rice University. He's also Professor of Material Science and Nanoengineering. But I found an article, some of you are familiar with George Gilder, the economist and genius in his own right, uh, and I thought if I read this to you, it'll give you some sense of whom I have the privilege uh, to converse with this evening. So this is from George Gil the George Gilder Report. He writes, just over a year ago, the world changed. History turned a corner, a new age dawned. So far, few have noticed. In due course of time, history will record that the new age was midwifed in the laboratory of Dr. James Tour, Professor of Chemistry, Materials Science, and Nanoengineering at Rice University, a chemist with some 700 scholarly papers. If you understand what that means, your mind is blown. And 150 patent families to his credit. Tour, George Gilder writes, is a modern day Isaac Newton. Now, if you know who George Gilder is, you don't, you don't take that lightly. He is leading a scientific revolution at the smallest of scales with deep roots in chemistry and physics and grounded in carbon, the most fundamental life-giving element in the universe. Um, Tour is ranked today in a drastic underestimate as one of the top 50 most influential scientists in the world. He will soon prove to be the most influential. His innovations promise to defeat deadly viruses and superbugs, overcome cancers and genetic disorders such as Down syndrome, displace ineffective diagnostic technology, heal severed spinal cords, we'll talk about that, clean dirty air and water, trivialize excessive CO2, obviate all convention trash disposal, render rare earth materials abundant, retrieve unrecovered heavy materials, replace existing electrical wires with fabrics, a million times as conductive, revolutionize construction materials, boost battery performance, eliminate toxic organics, re-energize depleted soil, banish rust, and in a wonderful parallel to Newton's demonstration of gold's immutability and counterfeiting of both your Gucci purse and its contents. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. James Tour. It's, um, he's, he's really here. He's really here. Um, Dr. Tour, I'm so thrilled finally to get this uh, chance to talk to you about some things that are really hard to process. Um, I, I think I want to start um, maybe with the evening that my former friend Elizabeth Blakemore introduced us. Um, I'll never forget how you started in on me on this issue of the origin of life. It seemed like you had a bee in your bonnet. In fact, anybody who watches your videos knows you have many bees in your bonnet. And that's why I love you. You're delightful to listen to. But do you, 
I mean, I want to talk to you about nanoscience, but can you just give us just a taste before we get into it of, you know, what you say to a stranger like me on the issue of the origin of life? Well, I, I don't even remember our conversation. Well, you don't have to remember the conversation. I don't, I don't remember the conversation. Actually, I remember not being that impressed with you. Um, I, no, but what I'm saying is that you kind of gave me the, the, like the, the rundown of, you know, Miller-Urey and, 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 and what we know today. Can you give us the, the paragraph version of, before we get into the deeper stuff? We're clueless on the origin of life. We don't know how to make the basic four classes of molecules that are needed for life. We've never, people have never made them in a prebiotically relevant manner, which means that using chemistry that would have been available on an early earth when you didn't have all the big machines that we have now, how you could ever make those four classes of molecules. Okay, in a spirit-filled church, I would say, and now can we get the interpretation? <laughs> I, I thought I was... No, I know, I know, I know you were dumbing it down for us groundlings, but uh, not, not low enough, not low enough. Let me, uh, I think that's why I'm here. I realize there's a reason I'm here. Um, I guess, uh, let's, before we get into that, because that's the real subject of our conversation, I want to talk to you initially about what you do as a nanoscientist. I heard about your work, I guess maybe 15 years ago, through some potential investors. They were talking about nanotechnology and some of what you were doing. Um, what I, when I just read what George Gilder wrote about you, it's, we're talking about really astonishing things. We've all, we know science has done astonishing things, but you now are doing some things in that world. What, maybe talk just about the nano cars, because that's, that struck my, uh, that, that, that struck. Sure, these are, these are single molecule nano cars. They have four wheels, independently rotating axles. They have a motor, you shine a light on it. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. You see, you, you already lost them, trust me. <laughs> We're talking about a single molecule. This man makes molecules in lab, but I mean, you know, most of us don't make molecules like at the office, right? <laughs> so why don't we, before we get into that, maybe explain the idea of when you say you make molecules, we know you don't have incredibly tiny tweezers. So can you, can you help uh, people understand you, you make molecules in the lab? Molecules, they're pretty small. So can you, is there a way you can help us understand how you do this or how you got into this? What you do is you make Avogadro's number at a time. <laughs> you do six times 10 to the 23rd at a time. You don't, you just swallow 10 to the 18th molecules of water, at least. I can tell. Yes. <laughs> I can tell, so but it's, it tastes like 10 to the 17th. <laughs> so what, what I'm saying is that, is that when you do this, we work with molecules in mass, just like when you drink water, you drink, don't just drink one molecule of water, you drink many, many of them. And so what we do is we, we do chemistry on groups of molecules that are in a round bottom flask, and there's solutions in there, and we add different reagents, and then their structures change based on the reagents that we add, their structures change. 
and we plan this out, and then whatever doesn't make what we want, we separate out, and we take it and we go to the next step. But, but again, to be, to be clear, when we're talking about nanotechnology, you cannot see a single, can, can you see a single molecule? You can see a single molecule by scanning tunneling microscopy, but, or, or AFM, you can, but that's not how you do chemistry. Oh, a, AFM, yeah. <laughs> Atomic force microscopy, oh, you can. <laughs> okay, so you can see, because what, but you don't do chemistry on one at a time, okay. because it'd take a long time okay. to get okay. a bunch done. All right, so we're not gonna make that mistake, Suzanne, make a note of that. We're, we're not gonna, <laughs> we don't wanna screw that up at home. But, so, but what you did was you met, in other words, it's, it's conceivable maybe that you can make uh, molecules or manipulate molecules, but you made molecules where each molecule, I know, look, you did this 14, 15, 16 years ago. This is like no big deal to you. But you made molecules that each molecule is a car. Yes. So, so let's go back to that. Describe molecules that are effectively cars. You were able to do this. Yes. So each molecule, it's one molecule. They're very small. You can part 50,000 of them across the diameter of a human hair. 50,000 of them. On the diameter. Side to side. Yes. Parked, since they're cars. Yes. 50,000 of them across the diameter of a human hair. Yes. Okay, so they're that small. Yes. But you were able to manipulate uh, things so that they function as cars. How do you mean that? Okay, so they, they all have four wheels. They all have four axles. They have a chassis. And on that chassis is a motor. Okay, what kind of a motor? It I mean, is, what do you mean there's a, on that there's chassis a there's a motor? It is light activated. You shine a light and the motor spins at three million rotations per second. And what, what is the motor comprised of? Carbon, hydrogen, and sulfur. Is there a glove box? <laughs> no? We can put one in. A teeny weeny. Like. A teeny weeny. <laughs> we could. Anyway, I just wanted to give you all a sense. I mean, so imagine a single molecule that has four wheels and, da, 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 and it's, a, it's one, molecule, one molecule and you're telling me it's so small that it can fit across, that 50,000 of them would fit across a human hair. So that's the scale at which you are working. Yes. Um, <laughs> keep it simple, yes or no answers will do. Um, so what are, what are some of the other things? T t tell, um, Tell us about graphene, because uh, in the article by George Gilder, he talks about this recent development where you can make graphene uh, very inexpensively, which is going to revolutionize our lives. Yes. So graphene is a single atomic sheet of graphite. Graphite is a chunk of material that's made up of sheets. If you take off one of those sheets, it is graphene, Graphene is one atom thick. It's a sheet of carbon atoms that are arranged like chicken wire. Six one membrane. atom thick. Yes. That's, I mean, that, that's extraordinary. Yeah, it, 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 and so, but this material, when you put it into other things, it strengthens it, strengthens the other materials a lot. So you can put 
0.01% into concrete and you only need, you can use 30% less concrete just by putting in a very small amount of this material, for example. And that, that's a big deal from an energy saving side uh, to use 30% yet less because concrete is 8% of all CO2 emissions in the world come from the making of concrete. And, and what we'd like to do actually is replace concrete so that, because concrete's been around for 2,500 years and I think it's time it got retired. And we can use another material which would be much lighter weight and, and equal in strength or stronger. And then we can also just modify the material and use it for an airplane fuselage. It's all made out of carbon, these sheets of graphene. That's the hope. That's the hope. We're not there yet. But yeah. that, that, that's, that's what it's projected toward. Um, but it's you, not far from some of those applications. Right. Well, you and I also, we, we met subsequently in New York City at the Second Avenue Deli, which is not on Second Avenue. It's so famous that they moved it, but they still call it the Second Avenue Deli. And you and I met there with... With uh, uh, the folks Mitch. from Mitch from, from uh, Chosen People Ministry. And Mitch, my son. Mitch, Mitch Glazer. And we had matzo ball soup. You're Jewish, I understand. I, yes, but all, I had a salad. All of my... Uh, all right. Uh, so, but while we were there, you pulled out your phone and you showed me a video of a, I was trying to eat my food and you showed me a video of a white rat. Can you describe that and the technology, the graphene technology? Yeah, so that was with graphene nano ribbons, ribbons of graphene, not, not individual square or, or, di or, or cylindrical sheets, but, but um, uh, uh, ribbons. And so what was done with the rat, and I told you earlier why the whole process behind this, why we were going down that line, but the spinal cord was completely severed in two with a scalpel, and then we put one... At the T5. Yeah, C5. At the C5. <laughs> yeah, C5. Did I mispronounce C? Yeah, because if you, if you do... If you, you said T, I thought. Oh. <laughs> so you, you did this intentionally to... How'd you to, remember that? To sever... What? How'd you remember that? I don't know. It's in my book. Um, <laughs> you, you, you intend... I just want folks to track with what, with what you showed me on the phone while I was trying to eat my soup. Um, you, in a lab, intentionally severed the spinal cord of the rat, which would paralyze it, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and then with nano ribbon, with, with, with these graphene right. ribbons. A 1% solution of graphene nano ribbons in another polymer. We put that in the gap. And then what you do with the gap is you just, you just open it and close it. So you got the spinal cords been cut in two. And now you open it and close it. Just by doing that, just by that action, it gives you something called sheer flow where these long, thin structures of the graphene nanoribbons will organize longitudinally, they'll organize in line with that spinal cord. It's like logs in a lake. And, and, and don't interrupt me, I'm, I'm, let me finish this. I, I, I'm, I'm just, they, they understand logs in a lake. <clears throat> when, it, when it goes down a river, the logs start orienting with the flow of the river. That's called shear flow. They all organize with the shear flow. So just by opening and closing, it organizes in line with the 
with the spinal cord. And then you just, they just, I don't do the work. I mean, the people in the lab stitch the head back, allow the spinal cord to reheal. And then, then it takes off from there. Okay, but the, the point, of course, is that because of the nature of graphene, yes. um, it, it provides a kind of armature over which the nerves that have been severed can regrow together. Exactly, because what happens is they will normally grow, but then they, they miss each other. As they're growing, there's nothing to line them up, and they pass like ships in the night, and that's it. So what happens is these act as avenues upon which the neurons like to grow. They like to grow in graphene because graphene is conductive, and they're send, sending out electrical signals, so they, they enjoy lit, uh, 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 growing on graphene. And so they're growing from each side, and all of a sudden they now collide. And when they collide, they refuse, and then they, they heal. That's it. So, um, so the idea is that with this technology, uh, you will eventually be able to do something, you know, uh, virtually unthinkable. Uh, is that people uh, who have been paralyzed because their spinal cords have been severed, this technology makes it possible to heal those folks. Well, th that's certainly the hope, because you, you never got to the key point that after two weeks, the rat got up and started walking around. You forgot that part. And then after three well, I weeks... I was trying to not to interrupt and thought you would get to it. <laughs> After three weeks, it started running. And so the first two weeks, the rat just was, was sitting on the bottom of the cage, moving its, in, in, in sort of a scattered sort of way. But the brain was remapping the connections because the connections were not the same as they had been originally. So just like a child has to you give a child the food, they stick it in their ear originally. But as they learn, they learn where to put that food. And the rat had to remap the connections. And the brain is, has the plasticity to remap the connections. Once it remapped, and it learned which leg was which, and then it can get up and just start walking again. So the hope is that, that injured spinal cords could be, could be healed with a technology like this. It's not there yet, but that's the hope. But you did it with the rat. Correct. Um, you, so, you know, previously when people talk about somebody having their spinal cord severed, there, there's no way to get the nerves to grow, to grow back. This makes that a possibility. Correct. I'm not overstating the case. No. You're not overstating the case. You also said that, you know, if somebody has their uh, optic nerve detached, they're instantly blind uh, because optic nerves can't grow back, they can't be reattached. You, I believe, said that this graphic, this graphene, uh, these nanoribbons could also help with that. Well, yes, I had a student working in a lab in Colorado with an expert that's working on whole eye transplant. So the idea is if you, if you have a whole eye transplant, you, you have to join the optic nerve. The person has an optic nerve coming from their brain and there's an op the other side is, is to the eye. So you've got to cut at that point, at some point along that, and reconnect the optic nerve. And so the idea would be 
to have optic nerve reconnection through these as well. And that's never been done. That's never been done. So, so it would be a big deal. He's a real showman, isn't he? <laughs> I just love the understated way you say it would be a big deal. The blind will see, you know, it's gonna happen. Uh, this is big stuff, it's big stuff. I just wanted to give people a taste of, of some of the stuff you're, you're working in. It's really amazing and I just encourage you to look up Dr. Tour and you can read um, about, about all this stuff. We have stuff. a TikTok video coming out of that rat walking again, actually. It's just about to come out. So. A TikTok video? Yes. Don't applaud. Uh, I'm disgusted. Um, I that was the first part of Eric Metaxas and James Tour's conversation at a Socrates in the City event held in Houston in October 2022. We'll have the rest of it coming soon. You can get a preview in the meantime by going to idthefuture.com slash author slash jtour. That's idthefuture.com slash author slash jtour. Or just go to idthefuture.com and look him up under the author's link there. Until next time, for ID the Future, this is Tom Gilson. Thank you for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.